0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, so I have our scripture reading for today. It is Psalm 103, 8 through 18, which is a Psalm of David. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish, punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows, and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear Him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to His covenant, of those who obey His commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Um, so, we are uh, in the middle of a series in the Psalms every summer at the Vineyard. Uh, it is a rhythm of ours to uh, spend the summer in the Psalms, like a big, intentional, deep breath that we do all together. Uh, we do this along with our Maryville campus. That's where Chad, uh, our associate pastor, is this morning, Um So, uh, so we do it all together. Um, So rather, I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, for me this week. Uh, Rather than doing a lot of teaching like normal around um, the set of scripture that Aaron just read, I really uh, just want to talk to you about some things that I'm uh, waking up to in my own heart and my own life. Uh, uh, that are helping me take a little bit of a breath, might help you take a little bit of a breath, some like unexpected things that are showing up uh, in me. Uh, But first I want to talk about um, unexpected things, things that aren't how we thought that they would be. So um, these are just a couple of unexpected things as of late in my life. Uh, Here's one. I have officially reached the age where I can't eat late at night or stay awake during movies. I did not expect that this would happen, nor did I expect that this is what growing up would be. Uh, I really thought I was immune to this thing. Uh, It turns out I was just 23, and and at 23, so all of you in your 20s and your two o'clock in the morning pizza bites, it's coming for you, man. You're going to find yourself at Costco getting the big bottle of Tums, and and then you're going to fall asleep in the movie theater. It will happen, even in a good movie. It's not like just bad movies that you're going to fall asleep in. Uh, You will fall asleep in good movies in a movie theater. Uh, Speaking of movie theaters, uh, this was another unexpected thing. Our kids were dying to see the movie uh, Cruella and they wanted to go to the movie theater. And I'll be honest, the only reason I went to see Cruella at the movie theater was because I thought it'd be really fun to go to the movie theater after not doing that for a year. Um, Also, one of the great joys of my life is going to the movie theater with my husband Daniel and watching how much popcorn he can eat. Um, Spoiler alert, it it is a lot. And there are limits to how many refills you can get, he has found. Um, So that's why I went to the movie theater. And then here's what happened. Cruella is a cinematic marvel. Has anyone seen it? It's so, they're not paying me to say this. It is so, so good. Like unexpectedly uh, good. You should go see it. And then tell me if you think it's good. Unless you think it's terrible, then you can reach me at my email, chad at (laughs) vineyardchurch.us. here's another unexpected thing for me lately. Um, I am a wannabe gardener. I have friends who are true gardeners um, and they help me a lot. And I'm a wannabe gardener. Um, like here's how wannabe. want to be I follow like gardening Instagram accounts. I ask a lot of questions um, and I surround myself with people who know what they're doing. But then here's my actual garden. That's like how I hope it would be in real life. The way I garden is uh, I plant seeds like a month or six weeks after everybody else plants their seeds. Um, I forget to water pretty regularly. Um, I gaze at my garden out my window and see little tiny shriveled burnt things in there. That is my experience with gardening. Um, And this was an unexpected thing. Huck comes running in one morning from outside and he says, we got a squash. And I was like, no, we didn't. Those plants are not healthy. And like, let's not get our expectations for vegetables. You know, like this is just, it was just, I just wanted you to work. That's why we dug holes. Um, and we planned them like two weeks ago. There's no squash. And I walked out and hot dog, there was a squash. And it was awesome. I brought it in, I put it on my counter. We haven't eaten it yet. Cause that's also what I do. I just stare at it and let it rot. On my counter. Anyway, that squash was like this giant, giant, giant unexpected uh, thing for me this morning. Um, but here's my favorite one just in the last few weeks, that uh, my favorite unexpected moment. Maybe you have had a situation uh, like a very dear friend of mine who shall remain nameless. Um, she has become obsessed, and I'm saying obsessed, with finding deals. Um, I follow gardening Instagram accounts. She follows uh, Target, Clarence, Special Instagram accounts. Those exist. Don't, I'm not going to tell you what they are because she'll get mad at me. So she ordered something online. She found a deal. Do we have a slide, Taylor? A picture? Okay. Um, she ordered a blow-up. This, okay, can you see it? It's very tiny. This is a giant blow-up slide, you know, in the backyard uh, with, the, with the hose and it goes down. She ordered this giant blow-up slide for $19.99. That's what the price says. So she deal of the century, right? How much do those cost? Does anybody know? 350. Thank you, anonymous person. Um, 1999. She buys this slide. Um, if we we'll go, this is what came in the mail. Next slide. <laughs> that. A bag of balls. <laughs> That's what she got. I think there's 11. She didn't even get a, she didn't even get a dozen. She got a bag. A bag of. of I will never stop laughing about this. She was going to get a a summer of fun, <laughs> and she got eight balls for, for a ball pit she didn't get i I love this um if you need eight balls for your ball pit, please see Allison Young after church <laughs> um, the uh there are unexpected things. Uh, it's, it's what I love, unexpected things normally. Um, but the unexpected in my life in the last few weeks has been bigger than just squash or blow up slides. Um, I've been waking up to something that has been a little bit surprising uh, and unexpected for me in my life with Jesus, in my spiritual life, my spiritual journey. And um, I was just telling my dad, I'm so nervous this morning. And I think a lot of it is because it's the thing I'm waking up to is something that I really wish wasn't true. Um, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, uh, but I do want to talk about it today because I, I have a hunch that I might not be alone. Um, and it's this. This is what I'm waking up to. I am realizing uh, that more and more and more, the older I get, that I think that the mercy of God is terrifying. I think it's terrifying. The more I wake up to mercy, the more I understand God and who He is, uh, the more it is nothing like I expected it to be. Mercy, it's scandalous. It's barely understandable. And the more I learn and know of it, the more uncomfortable uh, it makes me. And this was kind of unexpected for me, uh, if you know me well, because I I like love mercy. Like uh, one time when I was a teenager, I was in uh, Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher, I've told you this before, the Sunday school teacher uh, wrote a chart, like a big diagonal line on the board. He called the slippery slope to hell and he drew my name in hell because I had too big of a picture of mercy. Like I, I love mercy. I've read Ragamuffin gospel like a billion times. Like I love this stuff. If you come and look at my bookshelf, it's, it's uh, Brennan Manning and Eugene Peterson and Barbara and Taylor and Beegner and Robert Capon. They're like the grace brigade. Like that's, that's what I read. If you Google any of their names, none of them have ever been in trouble for having too many rules. And all of them have been in trouble with the church. Every one of them, like in theory, in my mind and in my heart, I could not uh, be any more into grace and mercy uh, than I think I am. But uh, I have been in the practice the last few seasons of life to, um, it's a practice I stole from the recovery movement, but we talk about a lot of, of trying to see things how they actually are rather than just how I hope they are. And when I see things how uh, they actually are in my life, it is undeniable that I am terrified and very afraid of mercy. Here's how I discovered it. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently. I'm not going to tell you which one because they use too many bowling words and I'll be embarrassed, but um, uh, this podcast, and there was a guy on it with, his name is Daniel Kahneman. Anybody know him? Daniel Kahneman. He, um, if you don't know his name now, like our kids will know his name. He is uh, like the social psychologist of our time. He's a Princeton professor, a selling author, Nobel Nobel Prize winning uh, man. He uh, developed something called prospect theory. And prospect theory is an economic behavioral theory uh, for predicting behaviors or predicting decisions. It started out with the lottery and then he kind of took it across the board on all kinds of uh, economic decisions. This is what he won a Nobel Peace Prize for. So um, he is a fascinating genius, look him up. Daniel Kahneman, Um, but of all the brilliant things that he talked about on the podcast, and there were a ton, uh, my favorite thing he talked about was he told this story about something that happened um, when he was a child, Uh, and he included this in his Nobel Prize autobiography when he won the prize. So uh, Daniel Kahneman, he was born in Tel Aviv, and he is Jewish, so he is an Israeli Jew born in Israel. But his parents uh, immigrated to France when he was very, very tiny. Uh, So he grew up, he's uh, in his 80s. So he grew up in Paris during the 1940s when Paris was occupied uh, by Nazi Germany. And so as a Jewish boy growing up in Nazi-occupied Paris, he was required to wear a yellow star of David visible all the time. Anywhere he went, his yellow star had to be uh, visible. So one day, uh, he is uh, very young, I think like eight, And uh, he's out past curfew and he sees a Nazi officer uh, and he panics. And then he discovers it's not just any Nazi officer, it's an SS officer, which he said in his words, uh, were the worst of the worst, the very worst and meanest Nazi officers. And then the officer spots him. Uh, and so it's not just that he sees him. The Nazi officer spots him, and so there he is, a young boy trying to hide behind a building, absolutely terrified, uh, waiting to be punished by this very, very scary man, uh, punished severely, arrested, uh, killed, taken uh, away like other Jewish boys. That's what he's waiting for. Uh, so the officer spots uh, Daniel and he calls little Daniel and he calls him over. And this young, terrified boy waiting to be punished, uh, walks over to the officer, and he says, "Then the scariest thing happens. The officer bends down and picks him up, and it's like, he's terrified." And then he says this. He says that uh, the officer bent down, picked him up, picked him up, and then wrapped him in and hugged him. And it was like, the most unexpected thing. He wraps him in and he hugs him, and then he sets him down gently. And he takes out his wallet, opens it up, and shows little tiny Daniel Kahneman a picture of his own son who looks exactly like Daniel. His little boy, who from this picture looks exactly like this Jewish little boy sitting in front of him. And Daniel Kahneman calls it the most interesting and curious thing that's ever happened to him. He is an expert on predictability, behavioral predictability. And in his autobiography to win an award for behavioral predictability, Daniel Kahneman includes the story of a a very curious unpredictability that marked his entire life. And I'm listening to the story and it's gorgeous. And like, I I think I might need to pull over the car because it's probably unsafe for me to drive with so many tears. Uh, In my eyes, I thought it was so beautiful. And then out loud, I'm like... This is the gospel, like this is Jesus. It's an unexpected embrace when you're waiting uh, for the impact of punishment. It's an unexpected hug when you expect to be uh, punished and arrested. The God who embraces us with joy when it makes no sense. This is mercy triumphing over uh, judgment, over fear, over uh, despair. It's beautiful. And so then a few days later, I was still thinking about the story and I was like, I got to preach about it. And so I sat down to uh, write this sermon and and read Psalm 103 that that Aaron just read about how justice does not preclude or prevent mercy. And I started writing the sermon and that's when the unexpected thing hit me. That's when I realized that in this season of my life, the truth is I am not waiting for an unexpected warm embrace. I am living my life braced and plotting to be arrested. Braced and like waiting for someone to come get me. That's the honest place that I'm living from. I'm not living my life in the freedom of the God who embraces with joy, the God who looks at me and sees what he loves most in the world. Instead, I I think I'm waiting for something else. I'm walking around, hiding behind corners, waiting for the God who, like a Nazi officer to a Jewish boy, first and foremost will look at me and see everything that he's against that's inside me. Not the God who shows me a picture of all of the ways that I line up to exactly what he loves most in the world. Here's how I know this is true. Uh, Because I have a running list in my mind and my heart of merits and demerits all the time all the time. I have this list of ways uh, that I get things right and ways that I get them wrong of where I'm building things up in the world and where I'm burning things down in the world and here's the most embarrassing part, I don't just have it for me, I also have it for you. Not you, Rodney, you. (laughs) All of you. You as in people. All people. I don't want this to be true, but it just is right now. And here's what I think it is. Uh, The older I get, the more I learn how much I love control. I love control. And that's really scary Uh, when it comes to mercy, because mercy I'm learning is a complete loss of control. And that's terrifying. Like I can accept a judgment that is fair, or I can reject a judgment that is unfair, fight against something I think is unfair. I can work to fight against injustice, to uphold liberty and justice for all. I can present you with my list of good things, of merits and demerits to you or God or anyone who asks me to prove. Uh, because I think part of it is because at this point in my life, I think I'm um, more good than I am bad. And so I like want you to see this list. I, I, And then I wanna be reckoned with. I wanna pay for the things that I that I don't do right because I do think at the end I'll come out ahead that the numbers will work in my favor that, and then if I don't, the numbers will be right in front of me of like you did more bad than good. And then that's something I could be able to control. I can fix the behaviors uh, that are wrong. If I have a list, I can do something with it. I can hold it. I can show you, I can, I don't know, think about it every single night before I go to bed, but mercy, mercy. I don't want this to be true because I think I'm, but the truth is I think I'm so afraid of mercy because I can't do anything with it. I can't do anything with it. A list I can do all these things with, but mercy, uh, the only thing I can do with mercy is open up my hands and let it wash over me. My list, my accomplishments, my fights for justice, even uh, my demerits, I have worked hard to compile them. They make me feel safe and in control. And mercy is so terrifying because it has no use for my list, none. I think there's some part of me that, uh, like I said, wants to pay for my sins. And this is awful to say, but wants you to as well, wants us all to be accountable uh, for what we do, Uh, be able to account for them and then like beg for forgiveness. But mercy, it takes it out of my control. Mercy calls uh, the things that I want to pay for already paid for, which means I can't do anything about it. Uh, Robert Capon, I mentioned him earlier, who I love, He gets in so much trouble. Uh, With his weird humor, he says it like this. He says, I think we have a slide for this, Taylor. He says, but if all we can think of is God as the eternal bookkeeper putting down black marks against sinners, or God as the celestial mother-in-law giving a crystal vase as a present and then inspecting it for chips every time she comes for a visit, well, any serious doctrine of grace is going to scare the rockers right off our little theological hobby horses. I think that's it. Mercy and grace have scared the rockers off my horses. I think another part of the reason that mercy is terrifying, um, or again, the part of the reason that mercy is terrifying is because we have so little role in it. That's the scariest part. The only role that mercy offers me in my forgiveness is again to open up my hands and to walk in the freedom it offers. But when I look at my life, honestly, uh, so many times I want a different role. I don't want to just stand and accept forgiveness. I want a starring role in my own forgiveness. I, uh, if I'm in the show, this is any show, if I'm in the show, I want to hold the flags, I want to lead the dance, and I want a bigger speaking role than you gave me. If I'm in the show, that's what I want to do. I don't want to just stand there. I would rather parade around the shame of my past than stand in the mercy of my present. I uh, would rather uh, uh, do anything, walk in the glory of my own goodness than simply walk in freedom because freedom requires faith. And I think faith is one of the other things that makes mercy so terrifying. Mercy comes with very little tangible evidence. And I love evidence. My mom used to tell me I should be a lawyer when I grew up and I don't think she meant it as a compliment (laughs) I I want the evidence. I love to prove and I love to disprove. And mercy in so many ways is ethereal. It's intangible. It's unexpected. It defies reason and it defies logic. Uh, Chad, most often when he talks about grace or mercy, he calls it offensive. And I think he's on to something that I'm seeing in me. Mercy and grace are offensive uh, to my tangible list of merits and my tangible list of demerits. A list requires evidence, not faith. I did this. I didn't do this. I thought this. I didn't think this. They said this. They did not say this. Mercy requires faith. It's a hug when handcuffs are what's expected. Mercy looks into the darkest despair and calls out goodness and calls out freedom and calls out hope. Justice Judgment is reaping what we sow, and there's evidence of that everywhere. In this world, if we play with fire, we will eventually get burned. Uh, James 2 tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. That doesn't mean that there's no judgment. That doesn't mean that there's no justice. It means uh, those things are everywhere. Justice is everywhere. What it means is that in the kingdom of God, justice and judgment do not have the ability to prevent mercy. It means that judgment and justice of God, they exist to uphold mercy, not to prevent mercy. Uh, Be- Frederick Beiner, who I also mentioned earlier, he says this, justice, I think we have a slide, Taylor. Justice does not preclude mercy, prevent mercy. It makes mercy possible. Justice is the pitch of the roof and the structures of the walls. Mercy is the patter of the rain on the roof and the life sheltered by the walls. Justice is the grammar of things, mercy is the poetry of things. Uh, James 2 tells us that we will be judged by the Father, not by the contents of our list, but by the law that sets us free. Justice makes mercy possible. It sets up the freedom that we can open our hands and walk into. Uh, the cross of Jesus represents, at the same time, uh, the, the destruction and evil that all of us are part of, that uh, we're always doing to ourselves. And the, the truth is, Jesus. part of the reason Jesus died on the cross is because since the beginning of time, uh, humans have been in the business of killing other humans right? That, that's part of the reason. This is the justice of things. And at the exact same time, the most true thing we think as Christians about the cross of Jesus is that it is our brightest hope. It's like the evidence of how busted we are as people and the brightest hope in the entire world, life in the face of death, the great embrace of mercy in the, the face of a literal arrest, that always goes on forever uh, before us, stands in our place in the judgment of things, making a way for us where there is no way. Uh, Mercy triumphing over justice just means uh, that justice and judgment do not get to prevent mercy. It will always come. And the resurrection of Jesus is this reminder of what Romans 6 tells us, that everything God has done in his own son, he will do in us. That with that freedom becomes uh, everything that God did in Jesus possible in us. New life possible in us. He will speak life when death is on the menu. He will speak hope when despair is what we ordered. And he will speak mercy when we have demanded credit or reckoning. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus tells us that uh, the Father has found us out past curfew, star of David on our arms, waving our lists around and that he has called us to come to him. And that when he looks at us, he looks at us as the object of his great affection. And that he picks us up and he holds us close and he whispers into our ears, I love you. I am on your side. I am chasing after you and I'm relentless. Open up your hands and throw your damned list away. I used the D at the end so it's not a cuss word. And our only role in this whole show of mercy is to be held, to be whispered to, to open up our hands. We are empowered by the merciful embrace of a father that somehow holds me tight and then sets me down and sends me back into the world, list free, sort of, when I do it. One last quote I want to read to you, and then let's just take a breath. Um, this one comes from a very wild monk named Thomas Merton. He says this, but the man who is not afraid to admit everything he sees to be wrong with himself and yet recognizes that he may be the object of God's love precisely because of his shortcomings, then he can begin to be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not his own illusions about himself but the endless, unfailing mercy of God. Uh, so here's what I need for Selah today. We, we do Selah every week at the Vineyard. We, we want to take a breath at this moment in the service every week. Here's what I need today, and my hunch is maybe more than just me <laughs> needs today. Uh, I want to offer us a long, quiet pause. We have a lot of verses, and I want the, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and drench us in the mercy of God. Um, a couple of things. A reminder, your only role in the forgiveness of Jesus is to walk in the freedom of it. And I think that that means um, maybe taking a minute in this minute to quit waving our list around, uh, to open our hands and to wait to be embraced by the one who I have found has never let me go. Um, Here's why I think things uh, like Selah are incredibly important in our life. This is why we do it every single week. Um, Because I have woken up to this fear in me that I'm living out of some places I didn't really wanna live out of. I'm believing some things I don't really uh, want to believe. And I think that there are, um, what I'm finding is when I wake up to things like this, these are places that Jesus wants to set me free. And I think they're places he wants to set uh, a lot of us free. And so it it matters that we sit and uh, take a few moments to be there, because we're going to leave here and we're going to be loads of other places. Uh, So we're going to sit in the the words of Psalm 103 that we read uh, originally, and so uh, they'll be on the screen. You can close your eyes. You can take a quiet moment. A lot of times, if I'm like trying to receive something, I will literally hold my hands open because it just reminds my body to pay attention. So ADD folks, that's for you. Um, And let's just take a minute. Let's reorient uh, ourselves to what I think might be the most true thing in the world, the relentless love of God for us. I'm gonna pray and then we'll just be quiet for a minute. God, I, um, I pray uh, for the courage to turn away, to repent, to turn away uh, from the places where we are actively choosing a list over mercy. Pray for the places that you would give us the courage to look in our own lives, not the lives of the people sitting next to us or the lives of the people that are currently bothering us. Uh, but we give us the courage to look at our own lives, our own hearts, and see uh, what's going on. We expose our fear and we give us the courage and the faith to believe that when you look at us, you might see something that is the object of your great affection. Uh, in our dead places you would speak life in our despair you would speak hope and in our chains you would bring freedom in your name we pray